go. And you. You too. Off you go. Then you. Bye bye. And you. And both of you. Nine, nine, nine cents off. Nine. And one Steve Evans. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is the Totally Football League Show. On to the magic roundabout of the Football League we spin with Kevin out and Harry in and red cards like confetti. Sam the Majestic Parkins riding the teacups and chucking... Actually, have you ever had a teacup chucked at you? Don't think so, no. Anything chucked at you? <sighs> Probably something when I was playing. Can't Should we remember. start it now? Actually, I've got nothing to <laughs> hand. It's all right. Apart from uh, Cleo Lane sings word songs. I could throw that at you. We're recording this in the studios of Jazz FM. That's why that particular album is here. Whilst we've sent Adrian Clarke packing, or at least hunting for new certificates, apparently, our new Kevin Nolan is former Wimbledon striker David Connolly. I have to say former Wimbledon striker, not mention any of your other clubs. We haven't got time. No. <laughs> no. And all aboard the Joe Party bus, Crilly from William Hill. Oh, thank you. Talking of chucking things, Joe, there's a little bit of a head-to-head you want to talk about later. Yes, there is. With some photographic evidence. Some very blurry photographic evidence. Do we want to do that now? Can do. No. So uh, don't pull us over now, officer. We've our kids on board. Hello properly then, David Connolly. You did mention those other clubs, the likes of Sunderland, Portsmouth, Oxford, Burton 3, Wimbledon nil though. That's where we'll start, shall we? Yes, I mean, I think it's uh, it's going to be, a, I think, a difficult season, I think, for, for Wimbledon. Obviously, they've got a new stadium coming up. They've struggled, I think, last season to score goals, and it seems like it's continuing this season, obviously. Lost their front man to Charlton, haven't quite replaced those goals. I think it could be a difficult 12 months coming up. Someone elbow him in the ribs and say, we don't start with proper punditry. What we start with is we're all very middle class. I saw this morning someone having an, an argument over a trench coat, which was the most middle class thing I've ever seen. Sam, you did a, a middle class rumble in a supermarket at the weekend. Yeah, I queued for sourdough Sunday morning. You're in, in, David's in good company. I mean, we're in good company. He's, he lives in Richmond, for goodness sake. Oh, he trumps all of us. Someone sack him. Although you were talking about cruises this morning. Yeah, my parents are quite fond of a Scandinavian cruise. <laughs> and I accidentally <laughs> mentioned it in front of you, Caroline. Yeah, why would you do that? So, well done, everyone. We're all introduced. You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gambleaware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Hold tight for game week six, everyone. And to the championship we head, where 10-man Swansea show grit, bite and a brilliant turn of the ankle to take three points from Millwall. Sheffield United and their early doors form continues. 4-1 win over Aston Villa, bracket Steve Bruce, wobble, worried, brackets. Ipswich and Norwich, nothing between them in the East Anglia derby. And then there was arguably the game of the season, which was a toss-up between the two nil-nillers. Stoke, Stoke, Stoke and Reading, Reading, Reading. Insert shake of the head there. We, though, go to Swansea, or at least the, the, the Mill Swansea game which you were at, David, which was, by all accounts, if anyone mi- missed it, more for you. It was brilliant. Well, it was incredible. I mean, the, I think the headlines were written in terms of they went down to, to 10 after five minutes. You know, the Swans getting a mauling at the den. It was all written. I think I even left the stadium when they were 1-0 down what? Swansea. Yes. Well, I had to Did catch that back? train. I had to catch that train. Can <laughs> someone forbid. sack him? Yeah. I hate people that leave a stadium. At... Sorry, carry on. He uh, was commentating as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they, I mean, out of nowhere, it's got to be not only the performance of the week, the month, it's going to, I don't think it'll be bettered. Um, also, they lost Leroy Fur, who was 
to me, the stand-up player on the pitch, he was magnificent. To come away with a 2-1 victory was just incredible. Yeah, because we, we might focus on the, the sendings off, etc., all that, that happened and the, and the rumble from coming back, but Carl Norton being pushed into midfield... Yeah. When we, we look at all the red cards of the weekend, actually, the shifting and, and that move and how Graham Potter had to adapt kind of just shows where he's at, doesn't it? Yeah, I think Graham Potter showed in Sweden that he's a you know thinking man's manager, very flexible with his systems. And I think they played a variety of formations, having gone down to 10. Uh, loved the winning goal because I think a lot of teams there, David, would have just lumped it forward. Uh, the goalkeeper would have sent everyone up last minute and taken the point, especially at the den, and you would have been under pressure. So to play a short free kick, three or four passes, brilliantly crafted goal. Montero's cross for McBurney to get the winner, I thought, was was brilliant and a big achievement because David's right. You know, down to 10 men at Millwall. Yeah. When they're ahead of steam, a lot of teams are out of sight. And also because of the players they got, they can't really kick it long. So it forces them to play that way. Ollie McBurney, I mean, he had a great loan spell last season. Came back. Look, if Swansea are in the Premier League, he wouldn't be playing. So obviously their demotion, I think, has been the making of him. He looked fantastic. I love him. He's like Stevie Claridge. He's got his socks down. You know, shin pads hanging out. He's scruffy. He's ugly. He gets stuck in. But I tell you what, he's a he's a real good player. He's a proper Millwall player then, isn't he? Well, yeah, he'd, he'd go down a, uh, a treat there. And look, they've got loads of pace. Selena is like, he's so quick. Um, 11 v 11 it looked like it's going to be a real good game as yeah. it was um, what a performance and Potter's worked his magic boom boom we um, uh, very good uh, actually the Trent trench coat wars this morning one of them was holding a Harry Potter book uh, which just adds to the middle class nature of it back to Millwall just briefly they're, they're a club that you know well David and and every week we get someone tweeting us or messaging just saying talk about Millwall talk about how well they continue to do under pressure financially there's that real contrast to Swansea Swansea owners who we rarely hear from have have done this interview in America this week I don't know if you've seen that talking about it's going to take a while to get back to the Premier League so just dampening down expectation do you see a difference in expectation between Millwall and Swansea well what was interesting at the game is obviously Hugh Jenkins is there so when they're losing 1-0 down to 10 (laughs) the Swansea fans are singing you know get out Hugh Jenkins basically you know leave the club how quickly that can change now Mm. they've had to cut their cloth accordingly and you look at Millwall who've real trouble in terms of the ground selling off the area around it you know the the money they're losing year after year and now their players are doing so well the likes of Cooper for example Savile gone to Middlesbrough now Neil's done such a good job with those players they're coveted by other clubs and Millwall never been in that position they've never been in a position where they could sell a player like Savile to Middlesbrough for X amount a million or Cooper for example suddenly Martin O'Neill's there looking at their players you know so I think they've taken that next step Millwall in terms of their players I guess their playing style will never change but at least their players I think are getting a bit more recognition As a fan if you're watching your club develop these players and then sell them on I get the business model behind it and how it can benefit your club but again time and time again there's, there's a point isn't there if you're going to show ambition that you have to try and hang on to those players there is, but I think they've been active in the transfer market as well. They've broken their transfer record in the last couple of weeks. It just shows you the money that's awash in the championship and, mm. and Millwall are having to adjust to that as well. I think they'll get an opportunity as well. Leonard, I think, is the player they brought in and Bradshaw, obviously, who's had a fantastic time in League One. Bradshaw's um, the one, isn't he, where yeah. you think maybe that little turn has happened. Well, it's, they're going to need some. They're going to need something extra at the top end of the pitch. How long can Steve Morrison keep churning out performances? I think Bradshaw's a, a regular goal scorer. I think he'll do well for Mill. I think that's a great signing. So um, it's it's the second season, isn't it, for Mill? It's hard to see them 
finishing above where they managed to get to last year. But under Neil Harris, if people aren't doing the business for him, I'm sure he'll, he'll look in January to get some new bodies in who will. Well, their form at the end of the season was magnificent, wasn't mm. it? So at the start of this season, it's been slightly off. I think there is such a reliance, as Sam says, on, on Steve Morrison that sometimes you saw Saturday, they didn't really know what else to do, even with the man advantage. Right, let's just hit Steve. Play off the second balls. A lot of onus is then on the lads getting up and support, and likes of Lee Gregory. They do need more goals in their side, no doubt. But even like Jed Wallace, for example, who was yeah. at Portsmouth when I was there, he's done really, really well. Didn't do so well at the weekend, but they have got good players. Make no mistake, they've got good players and they'll be fine. I just think they're going through maybe a little bit of a sticky patch at the minute. David Connolly and Sam Parkin here. Joe Crilly, we mentioned some photographic evidence. This is after your lot at the weekend. Uh, 2-2. It's not the 2-2 we're talking about, although that was pretty exciting. Preston 2, Bolton 2. It's about what happened at full time. So a, a great first half, which saw Preston go 2-0 up, uh, and Bolton pulled them back to 2 all. And then second half, slightly fragmented, very kind of bitty in, in places. And then after the full-time whistle, Ben Pearson of Preston saw red. Now, it's for a supposed headbutt but it's not it's one of those ones where a player puts his face into another player's face and some Preston fans appear to have found some very grainy footage of, have you of, seen this you of two? Joe Williams no no I've uh, seen the camera didn't really catch it did it imagine someone's forehead and then you can't tell whether it's a bit of skin or a tongue is that right yeah so it seems that people who have an interest in letting their midfielder off the, the headbutt uh, suggest that he was provoked by a bite those that think that Joe Williams had a very assured debut and was just the right kind of midfielder for, for Bolton Wanderers, uh, suggesting that it's his tongue. But the photographic evidence is out there for, for people to make their own mind up. All I'm going to say is, which one of you has a really flabby forehead? Not me, because you can't get that much. I'm just giving it a go <laughs> no, now. I mean, if, if, he, if he is biting it, he's, he's a good two inches away from his face. So he's pulled that eyebrow out two inches off his forehead. Proper stretch Armstrong (laughs) (laughs) of the forehead region. So I'd I'd like to see if Ben Pearson has any cuts or or bruises on his face. I mean, that would clear up uh, once and for all. Preston 2, Bolton 2. Goals, goals, goals you want then. It's Sheffield United 4, Aston Villa 1. Is Bruce out? Is Bruce going? Um, Has he stuffed the defence? Cries of bring back John Terry, allegedly, if if you read the papers today, Tuesday, as we record this. David, John Terry, has he got to come back? Oh, I, uh, I don't know what to say on this one because I saw Villa a few times last season away at Reading, away at Norwich. They were awful. Went to the playoff final, equally bad. Spent an awful lot of money. They've got Jedinak at centre-half now. Look, he spent a lot of money and he hasn't really got the results. Now, I think his agents have done a really good job in terms of keeping him in a job when there was linked with Thierry Henry. Mm. So I think his people behind the scenes, Steve, were fighting two for now for him he's retained his role he's retained his job he's now brought Tammy Abraham in but defensively I just don't see that they've got enough and whether John Terry's the answer to get him back there uh, I, I don't know I think there's a bit of a reliance on that old experience those that you know and uh, I don't know whether I don't know whether Terry's the right signing for them I almost feel a little bit sorry for for Steve Bruce because after Villa didn't get promoted uh, last season there was a lot of talk of penny pinching cost saving so he probably went out and got a short list of players that he could get to bring into the club and then suddenly the new takeover happens they've got money so he then has to formulate a new uh, a plan in the summer with with one or two weeks to go before the the end of the transfer window so I I think with that in mind uh, he's he's probably his plans that he had formulated over the start of the summer are completely different to what they are now and expectations will be higher as well. 
what I would say on that is that last season, he would have known John Terry was a one-season wonder. They burst the bank, basically. They rolled the dice, as everyone knows, on that one-season gamble. It mm. didn't work out. So where was the long-term planning? John Terry wasn't going to keep going. Where was the long-term planning in place for another signing? That's what I would question. Shows what a job John Terry did last season. I think with that as well, is the goalkeeper that went to West Brom, Johnson, because Nyland, I think, was at fault for at least two of the goals at the weekend. So the guys are right. I mean, huge defensive problems. I don't think the Aston Villa fans really know what the style is. Yeah. And of course, they're going to have to get some results. Now he's got Balassi in and Tammy Abraham. I think he'll get a little stay of execution. But if they don't get some results, now they've got those couple of chaps in. I think the writing really could be on the wall. Yeah, Jake French at the Totally Show says what's happened at Aston Villa. There's talk of them passing sideways, all out of sorts. The flip to that, though, is Sheffield United. And uh, I was tweeting my love for Oliver Norwood at the weekend, but I just put Norwood set pieces brilliant and uh, Nicola Palios is the vice chair at Tranmere in response to my love for Mr Norwood said I assume you mean James Norwood of Tranmere Rovers scored 17 goals in 18 games a cue loads of fans saying to her sign him up sign him up make sure you've got him on a contract but Oliver Norwood I thought again just performing for, for Sheffield United I did a bit of reading on this because he's got to be the unluckiest player ever he played 33 times for Brighton the year they were promoted 36 appearances for Fulham when they were promoted and he's found himself out on loan again from Brighton. So I think that, that says to me, he's obviously a good luck charm, but he's got a great attitude to yeah. keep going out and producing. And he wasn't an automatic first choice at Fulham, but he deputised brilliantly for Kearney and McDonald at times last season. It, they almost didn't lose anything with him having to come in. So it's a great signing for him. And he looked like he was pivotal in that win at the weekend. But How, how, does it, how did it work for both of you? When you go out on loan, how do you, how do you mentally deal with that? Because it is one club well, saying. I think it's, it's different when you're a young player and you, you're desperate to go and cut your cloth and and be a footballer. Yeah. So you you know your enthusiasm is, is clear, your motivation's clear for him. Obviously, he wants to be playing at a good level and he plays for Northern Ireland as well. But it must be a bitter pill to swallow. He sees Brighton in the Premier League and he's not really had a taste of that. He's had to go down to the Championship. He's clearly very good in the Championship, and Chris Hutton doesn't see him. Uh, able to have an effect in the top league. Yeah, I just think that it, it's horses for courses, really, in terms of how some of those teams play. I think uh, Norwood is really suited to how Fulham play in 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 that role. I saw him a lot last season. I thought he was I thought he was excellent. And the, I think the good thing that Wilder's got, and I left. Well, I joined Oxford just as Chris Wilder left, although he wanted to sign me on loan. Coming to the end of your career, you. I think that's why I fell out of football. I, I didn't want to go on loan. And in the end, you think, right, that's enough, enough's enough. I'll just call time. Because as Sam says, it's not that nice an experience. But obviously, Oliver, he's got to do that to go and play football. Mm. But I think he's found a real home at Sheffield United because, look, they're tough. They're really well organised. Back three, the midfield, though, they've got a couple sitting in front. Oliver Norwood then's got a bit of licence and freedom to go and play. And I think they've got a real good balance there. You know, and I like how Wilder is not afraid to go and get players who maybe other teams don't want, whether it's McGoldrick or, you know, whether it's Washington. Maybe he's not he's not shopping at Waitrose or Ricardo, is he? Like like Sam, you know? <laughs> he's, uh, he's he's not queuing for his sourdough. No, no, he's not getting sourdough. He's probably getting the, he's the Warburtons. That, he's uh, going to that calf about yeah. three doors down where I go about once a month just to. You know, I think show he's going to the one support. I went to in South Bermondsey um, for a couple of hours, and I was two hours early for the Millwall game. Um, I had to watch Caroline on TV, but um, yeah, what I like about Chris Wilder is that he's, he's not do you know what he's a manager you know, he hasn't gone and got Tammy Abraham on 50 grand a week yeah. he's had to go and cut his cloth accordingly and then fashion a team that's management 
for you as a player, what is it he says? What what's it he he does that that does make it jolt? I mean, his record is phenomenal, particularly over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I think he's a he's a manager who really knows what he wants. He works the players. When I came into Oxford, he'd just left, and all of them said, you know, he is a hard taskmaster. He drove them really hard, very disciplined, very organised, and look, he's giving those uh, those lads an opportunity. He got promoted, so he's not dispensing with their services, you know. And they were really good the first season, you know, and they're continuing that. What top ten finish? There's nothing to say they won't do that or even more again. And he's a he's a manager. He's managing that football club. I think we all well probably looked at the start of the season and you thought it would be difficult for Mill and, and Sheffield United you put in the same bracket to emulate what they did last year. Tenth yeah. they finished. I'm not so sure now. And, and he's right. I mean, some of those players, Leon Clark, Billy Sharp, uh, players at the top end of the pitch who he seems to get a tune out of. And it, it's hard work. But within that as well, they played one of the most interesting systems last year, played a 3-5-2. I think they're, they're still going that way this year. So it's not you know, direct one-dimensional football that Sheffield United maybe were in the past, um, going back a few years here. But you know, playing a decent style of football, got some good players and a, and a manager who's known how to get promoted. I think that's the most important thing. So, you know, I, I think it's too much of an ask this year, but but who knows in the next few seasons. We can rattle through a few of the other games if if you want to. We've had the Norwood loving, Ollie Watkins loving at, at Brentford again, 84th minute winner as they beat Nottingham Forest. There is perhaps a little bit, um, I, I'm so quick to condemn these managers, but Karanka as well, I think that there's, there's a wobble there. Anyone got concerns? No, because none of you are Nottingham Forest fans. <laughs> no, I would, I would to be honest, if if I was a Forest fan, I did the game for Talk Sport, Forest, uh, Birmingham, and they were woeful. Yeah. And at home, he likes to play very pragmatic style, four, two, three, one. You know, he's done that his whole career, Karanka, you know, at Middlesbrough. And that, to me, it's a bit dour. And at home, the Forest fans were crying out for four, four, two. Let's play four, four, two, two up top, get the ball forward. They did that. They were awful. So he was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. So a two nil down, lumping the ball up to Dale Murphy and just hoping. And Birmingham, they had Jukovic. They were doing that, but they're also able to play. And it seemed like he didn't really know what style suited them best. In the end, they were very fortunate. Came away of a draw. I think they're up against a side, Brentford, who will not change for anyone. That's how we're playing. And with Watkins, obviously, they put their money where their mouth was. Signed him. A lot of clubs in the Champions are going, why didn't we sign him for one and a half million? They wouldn't get him for 10 times that now. Yeah, Oli, I questioned a few weeks ago, you know, whether he can be a central striker. I think he's better when he receives it on the half turn. But loved the goal. I loved it for two reasons. He had a bit of uh, cotton wool sticking out of his nose because he'd just been off for a bleeding nose. And the movement, if you watch it, the way he pulled behind the centre half and it got a little deflection, but the anticipation was like a striker. So uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, I, d- I don't think you are. We always like to see players with cotton wool in their <laughs> nose, showing that they'll go that extra mile. Well, look, they'd want to wrap him in cotton wool because he is so special, <laughs> you know. But I if mean, they. Can we all just give him a clap? Boom, boom. <laughs> Joe Crilly, after the weekend's events, we always like to see if, if anyone swung, gone, higher, lower, anything for a pair in this game. Steve Bruce, his odds have come in considerably to go. He's still odds against to go before Christmas and odds against to go before the end of the season. He's five to four, uh, so just over evens to have left before the end of the season. But Paul Clement, very much in trouble now. It seems like we speak about him every single week, but he, he's he's one to five to go before Christmas now. At the Totally Show, I wonder, Reading fans, kind of, what's going on at, at the club, really? Because although we say that about Paul Clement, there seems to be a, a sense that 
at least when he walked in, it was going to be all, all right. But Reading just continued to nosedive. If you can come on and chat to us about Reading, you probably don't want to talk at the moment. But at the Totally Show, to be part of it. And whilst you're on your device, whichever device it might be, if you go to iTunes or your favourite podcast provider and leave a review for our show. Listeners, when it comes to shaving, you value precision. And so do Harry's. They value precision so much that their blades are German-engineered. They value precision so much that their razor handle is non-slip with textured grip. And that's why I've just changed all my shaving products to Harry's. And you can too, by heading to harrys.com slash league. Harry's cucumber and aloe shave gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing those aforementioned German-engineered blades to glide across your face. And their post-shave balm will leave you extra cool and fresher than ever. Because you listen to the Totally Football League show, you can get a special Harry's trial set delivered right to your door for just £3.95. What's in that trial set? Well, the handle, in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade cartridge, the foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover. Find out more at harrys.com league. League One then, we said it would happen, and it finally has. Not Peterborough's 100% record going, that has. The last remaining 100%ers are gone. Gone. When Peterborough were held to a 1-1 draw at home to Doncaster. But he's only gone and finally got sent off. Steve Evans. Still top, level on points with second place Portsmouth. Portsmouth, the big winners of the day, 3-0 over Plymouth Argyle, who remain bottom without a win. But League One starts with another incoming. Michael Collins has left Bradford City and their fourth full-time manager of the year is incoming. Hopkins unveiled as new Bantam's boss screams the headline, but what's behind it? Let's hopefully talk to Katie White from Width of a Post who do all things Bradford City. Hi, Katie. Hiya. You've had a bit of a sniff that this was going to happen over the past few days. Are you pleased? You're relieved? What's the feeling? It's difficult to be pleased because ultimately it's a young coach who was fast-tracked into a job that I don't think he wanted in the first place when nobody else was willing to stand up and take it. So from that point of view, there's the feeling that a young coach in Michael Collins, 32, the youngest boss in the AFL at the time, has been hung out to dry a little bit and become the fall guy for other things. But I think as well, there's an element of we all saw this coming. It was a case of when, not if. And I think that they've kind of let him go and, and put him out of his misery before he had the chance to get them relegated, which I think it looked increasingly likely that that was going to happen if he stayed on. So it's difficult to find any kind of glee or comfort in, in seeing someone like Collins, who, yeah. who was thrust into a really difficult position, being made redundant and losing his job so early on. But at the same time, I think everyone at Bradford and the supporters are kind of thinking it's the right course of action ultimately for the club. You and others have spoken on the website about this masking the systemic and fundamental failings that have claimed the latest coach as collateral does little to mask it. Is, what's going on then? What, what's the fundamental problem at the club? Well, they have an owner in Edinburgh Hitch who likes to be very hands-on and I don't want to get into battering of this owner but I think there are a lot of criticisms that are perfectly valid and perfectly reasonable to air and it's kind of been brewing for a while that when Stuart McCall came in as manager a few years ago, Edin was very open that he wanted control of transfers and he wanted increasing control of various elements of the football club and this is the same way you can speak to, it's not just rumours on the internet, it's when you speak to people behind the scenes at the club and people within football and former players and things that they are all 
all very surprised and shocked and startled by the amount of control that Eddie has. And that increased with Collins, where he was um, going to the training ground and having team talks before the games in the dressing rooms. And it was levels of involvement and interference and influence where you were thinking, OK, it's all right having a director of football and a coaching philosophy from above, but to the extent where they're interfering in all these things where uh, an owner shouldn't get involved in, that was quite unnerving for us to hear. And as well, when your director of football is also your owner, there's mm. no accountability there because you can't get, if a director of football bad is underperforming, you can get rid of him. When it's the owner, he's never going to be held accountable for his own feelings. I think that's the big issue here. So getting rid of Collins and replacing him with David Hopkins is fine in theory, but if they're going to make the same mistakes behind the scenes, it's difficult to see him as anything other than another fall guy at the moment. Well, the good news is, he says, our supporters are extremely passionate. I want to give them a team and performances they can be proud of so uh, you can hear that with Katie too Sam but why would you walk into a situation like that? No it's very diff- uh, difficult when you've got a, uh, a owner that's um, interfering to say the least. I wanted to ask Katie about the playing side for, for a moment. I, I've read that they've been struggling defensively, aerial balls and there's been some, I think the fans are baffled as to why Matt Kilgallen wasn't playing. He's been allowed to leave. Can you shed some light on that Katie? Yeah it's difficult with Matt Kilgallen because again it's a kind of very smoky, elusive one to pin down because I think the rumour is that, that Kilgallen was in McCall's inner circle, as it were, or a selection of players that were particularly close to McCall. And it's very easy to read between the lines. There was a picture when McCall got sacked. Five or six of the players went out with him for a meal post-match. And then so one of the players put it on Twitter of saying, oh, what a great boss and we're going to miss him as we say goodbye to him, etc., etc." And all those players have steadily been kind of weeded out and Kilgallen was the last one to go. So it's very easy for people on the outside to sort of think, oh, hang on, is that not just oh he's, he's old or he's past his best we'll get rid of him because he was the player of the year last year but is that element of a more political standpoint of he was too close to Stewart could he possibly cause disharmony in the dressing room is he going to be a disruptive influence in terms of railing against the owners but in terms of the playing style it's been really difficult to, to judge because there just hasn't seemed to be a plan or a style or a shape or anything that you can pin down if you ask what Michael Cohen's philosophy is I don't think anyone could really tell you and it's it's difficult because you're 32 I mean how many coaches in this country i know it's very different in germany and places know what they want to be at 32 and have an idea and especially when you're operating in a system where you can't control signings you can't control transfers you can't control recruitment it's very difficult to come in and lay your stamp on things and it shows in the stats as well that they played fleetwood on saturday and were a goal behind fleetwood were down to 10 men and between the 53rd and 93rd minutes he had no shots that they didn't have a single shot in that time and you just think what were you doing with the ball all that time and it's yeah. just there was no kind of plan or strategy and he was out of his depth and it's it looks like a very talented group of players on paper that maybe need a little bit of direction, people like Jack Payne and Sean Scannell, for example. But you were looking at the moment in a system where they didn't really have an idea of what they wanted to be as a squad, I don't think. Katie, thanks for your time. Uh, fingers crossed, at least the next six games, we'll give him that. Hopefully starts to look a bit brighter. Thanks for coming on. Right, thanks a lot. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football League show from Muddy Knees Media. Katie White from Width of a Post, there's a a brilliant article on there that that just talks about where the club are are going or not at the moment. Joe Crilly, what odds on David Hopkins? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going after it. See, that's just, you don't want to try and end them before they they even start. At least with David Hopkins, he has gone and done it, not in this Mm. league, but he has shown that, that progression with the team as well. 
Yeah, definitely. He's got a bit more experience. I feel sorry for, for Collins, to be honest. I mean, I remember playing against him. He's a really competitive midfield player. 32, though, to go in there. And it sounds like a mess. Not only interference from board level, but mm. I was surprised. You know, he had a, a chap called Martin Drury alongside him, inexperienced again from the youth team. I know Greg Abbott's there, but maybe the players were getting a little bit of mixed messages from there because Greg Abbott's vastly experienced. You would you would anticipate and expect that to be helpful for him to have someone a little bit older who, who knows the games but whether they've been on the same page is a question probably for Katie as well um, but Hopkin two promotions with Livingston took them into the Premier League and decided that he wanted to cut his cloth in England so you have to admire him for what he's done at a club up there getting them back into the top flight mm. uh, and backing his ability to, to come down here I was surprised he only played 11 times for Bradford I thought he was something of a, of a legend there so surprised that he didn't go particularly well I kind of remember him from that spell but obviously a great player for Leeds and, and Chelsea amongst others More than once already in the, in the past sort of hour I've heard him liken to Jack Ross and what, what Ross is doing at Sunderland and whether that's what they're looking for we'll West of see. Scotland isn't it West of Scotland Iron Brew it- I mean, that's it, really. Uh, I, I thought that was the main reason. I think I'm just check. Yeah, that was top of his CV. Exactly that. At the Totally Show, by the way, if you want to come on and tell us about, about your club, like Katie just did, explain a bit more. We'd love to hear from you. Peterborough 1, Doncaster 1. I've not seen the FA in a while, but I suspect I'll be seeing them next week, Steve Evans writes. If the fourth official deems being half a yard outside the technical area is worthy of a second yellow card, then that's not what the League Managers Association were told in the summer meetings. He goes on to say, Mrs Evans won't be happy when I'm giving them some money, but hopefully someone can explain the decision to me. I mean, he carries on, doesn't he, regardless. Did it really affect... It was going to go there 100% record at, at some... St- well, it didn't have to, but I thought it would go at some stage. And, and Doncaster always seemed fairly well organised every time that I've seen them, Dave. He is a force of nature <laughs> on the sideline. So I was at Charlton and uh, against Peterborough. And I tell you what, it was the best entertainment off the pitch rather than on it. So in the warm-up, Madison booted the ball away and stropped off in a half. And you're like, I tell you what, this is going to be a good <laughs> it's a good evening entertainment. And obviously on the sideline, the touchline, you've got Steve Evans just berating the officials, the fourth official. He must have needed a bag of ice because he just doesn't let any decision go. And it's incredible. Those managers and coaches that you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the amount of decisions that do end up going their way. Mm. And I felt so sorry for Lee Bowie. He piped up once and got a yellow card. And basically, he'd done nothing the whole game. And um, look, they got away with that win. But you could tell he, he is like nothing I've ever seen on the sideline. I wouldn't put it past them. And I've seen some, for example, Wigan are similar with Paul Cook and their staff. The amount of time they get onto the fourth official, get onto the referee, and they get a lot that goes their way. I think finally, in that Charlton game... He, he actually could have been sent off, but he didn't get a red card. But he's, I think he's, it was coming. Yeah, but I mean, that's the whole reason they've introduced the, the yellow cards and the red cards for, for those that have stood within that area. We were chatting before this about Steve McLaren being up in the stands watching QPR. As fans, I want to see my manager down there on, on the touchline. You want to see him actually trying to affect the game. I don't want to see him sat up in the, the stand, Joe. I don't know if you've, you've sat with many a manager up in the stands. Sam Allardyce used to sit in the stands all the time at Bolton. I know that's many many years in the past but he used to trust his staff to make the tactical calls he had a an earpiece and he was able to get a bigger view or an overview of of the game and I I, I didn't see much wrong with that happens in American football yeah. all the time but clearly that's because you are you do need to be that elevated level to try and work out the chess that is is the game but as players would you rather have them down there 
or you don't care the minute you walk over? Uh, undoubtedly, you get a better view from up in the stand and the way the game's moved on, it's probably sensible to have someone up there. Sam Allardyce was ahead of his time in terms of the uh, data uh, and what have you. F- for me, you-, you want someone down there, I think, to motivate you. I'm not sure I'd say that if, you're a, if I was a fullback. Within reason. I've played for managers, I won't name names, who kicked every ball and sometimes... Yeah, <laughs> Lily did it there. Um, but played every pass. And even though I thought I was doing the right thing, you know, invariably the manager would have a different opinion. So I think there's a, a line. But yeah, I think you want the manager down there so he can uh, he can motivate you at times. It makes a really good point there in terms of being a fullback. So I played with a, a, a brilliant winger. And he couldn't wait to be on the opposite side of the pitch. Oh, definitely. Away from the manager. And the amount of... When you do your coaching badges, for example, they monitor you know, how much info you give to your left back, your right back, your centre half. And I remember after one game, they said to me, you've given 90% instruction to the fullback and the winger on this side. I was thinking, you know what? You're right. Because, you know, the rest, the middle of the pitch can't hear you. The opposite wing can't hear you. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you don't want them to say nothing, but sometimes players just, you know, can just get on with their game. Steve McLaren's obviously tried to, you know, be above that. And he always tries to do things differently, doesn't he, Steve? For With mixed results, you'd have to say. So he was sat up beside me at Loftus Road. You know, he was still swearing, but he was just, you know, 100 yards away from the pitch. It was funny. Uh, red cards, sticking with the theme of South End 1, Charlton 2, three of them in South End United's meeting at Roots Hall. They were all shown in time added on, two to the host, one to the visitors, and that 2-1 win then for Charlton as well. I mean, on paper, it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a proper dust-up, but then it ended up being... Anyone see this one? Yeah, well, you've obviously got Chris Powell against his, his former club. Um, yeah, it, it kicked off, didn't it? I mean, I've I seen it. It never strikes me as being someone... Now you're going to tell me all the times he has kicked Who's that? Off. Chris Powell. I just, I no, know. no, not Chris Powell, no. But, I mean, the incident itself, I think Kitely had to... I think they all probably had to go, but yeah. the, the, the television footage is inconclusive if it's a headbutt from Foster. He seems to jump up to Kitely. I enjoyed the goalkeeper. I didn't enjoy it because I thought he was an idiot for getting involved, but I think those goalkeepers, sometimes they think they've got a suit of armour on because they've got their gloves on, so they come out and start trading because they've got that extra protection. And uh, he was red-carded as well. Really good-headed winner, Christian Bilek on loan from Arsenal. And Johnny Jackson, my, he's my mate, but he tweeted after the game that it was his best feeling as a coach so far. So the, the old late winner, you know, it really gets your adrenaline going. So When everyone's against you. Well, they were dragged back to 1-1 late on and then to get the winner, I think, you know, it's, it's a tremendous feeling, isn't it? Whenever you're away from home, back in the dressing room when you've snatched it at the death. Uh, I was going to tell you that this is a yellow card offence. Thank you, Abby. Sarcastic clapping. Is it? Yeah. Oh. I'd have a few of those in my time. Joe, odds changed at all in League One? Still Barnsley, Barnsley, Barnsley? Well, Sunderland, Barnsley, Barnsley, Barnsley. Yeah, 2-1 um, over Gillingham. Kiefer Moore, by the way. Still unbeaten, Barnsley. Still my tip. Well, so Sunderland uh, are now 4-9 to nine for promotion. So that price is just getting shorter every single week. Barnsley are now odds on as well. And they're 4-6. to six. So those two teams now odds on. And despite the fact that they aren't sitting in the, the top two spots at the moment, we fully expect that they will be come the end of the season. Did you know games involving Oxford United have produced an average of 3.67 goals per game, the joint highest amount in any EFL relegation zone? Same as Notts County in League Two. What happened on Saturday then? Yeah, let's not talk about that, unless you really want to. Sunderland Oxford? Yeah. Ricky Holmes, good free kick. And uh, I like Charlie White, and he came on a good striker's goal. I like that. It wasn't. I, I think it was all going on target. Did Someone you say had a Ricky shot. Holmes? 
Yeah. You mean Chance of Cities? Right? Oh, yeah, sorry. You, sorry. That's his Carry full on. title. No, and I liked Wyke's first goal for Sunderland because it was um, he redirected someone else's shot, which mm. I think was probably going in, but he just got something on it and it dribbled oh, into the corner. Wow. And I think it'll be a big signing for him. That'll be a weight off his shoulders as well because I think he was a million quid, wasn't he, yeah. all in? So Oh, you don't for, care. If they're going to go in, they go for in. The, for, for, that, for that price in that division, I think he, wanted to, I think he will have wanted to get off on a, a really good foot. At the Totally Show for your thoughts. We're into League Two next. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker. And you're only good enough for mid-table, cried everyone about Newport County before the season. But up to second in Skybet League Two, Lincoln City remain the pace setters, 3-0 winners away at Exeter City. But Notts County 1, FGR 3, Harry Kuehl, we're talking about managers, manager in waiting up in the stands watching. Um, will he see anything in this to give him any hope whatsoever, Sam Parkin? Well, they have to. I don't. It's a really disappointing result. Uh, I saw Forest Green and I talked them up last week. So they're going to be upsetting a lot of the bigger clubs this year because he's got a good squad there, Mark Cooper. And they did that after losing Christian Doidge as well in the week yeah. to Bolton. So magnificent victory for them. Notts County defensively all over the place. I've got it here. Conceded three in five of the last seven games. I mean, that's pretty desperate. He's already moved and brought in Elliot Ward. Uh, he's a very experienced player. Um, and it's going to take a real turnaround there because I'm sure the confidence is really low after this start to the season. Everyone fancied and This is probably the biggest surprise in the whole of the EFL. Yeah, fans were walking out early. Mark Crossley took charge and he was at pains. I don't know whether this was Harry Kuehl saying, make sure you go and tell everyone I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but he said afterwards, he had nothing to do with that. <laughs> that Ro- was all me. Rose Ed. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who's the manager who's sitting in the stands and nothing to do with it and then they were winning. He went down and like, you're right, <laughs> at half time, <laughs> I'm now involved. <laughs> <laughs> this is three points. Don't tell me you wouldn't do It that. goes on my CV, yes. <laughs> I mean, Notts County are real... Yeah, I covered the uh, the semi-final against Coventry and the real contrast in style was very direct under Kevin Nolan, as you'd expect. With the players he, he had, I think he'd done well, yeah. you know, no doubt. Look, he spent a bit of money, didn't he, this summer, but, uh, got in some signings. They're conceding goals for fun. Uh, he looked like he'd... I wouldn't say he's lost the team, but he just couldn't affect... Those goals against, don't think they had any real choice, to be honest. Um, uh, the the results sort of went down as the season's gone on. And I think it's a really tough job. I think it's, I think he's gone in there and it's, I think it's a very tough job for Harry Kiel. But Because the chairman spent again after a relatively successful season last year, that, that's the thing. They hit to, had to hit the ground running because he's put his, his hands in his pockets again. And when the, the results were poor and the, the nature of the defeats as well, you're getting smashed at home by Yeovil, unfortunately. Uh, the fans, they're going to demand more than that at a, a big club in Notts County. But some of those results were, were kind of late. They lost late to Cambridge. They lost late to Newport. So you just feel, you know, there wasn't that much in it. But I think the four nils and, you know, the the, the volume of goals, yeah. I think, was the nail in the coffin. On on the point of, of Newport, you, have you, you all played at Rodney Parade. Yeah. I, mean, I know they were playing away at the weekend. But I just, I just in Newport, I always felt there was a team that could, if they got a bit behind them, a bit of momentum they'd be all right because of of their home form. But winning 2-1 at at Port Vale, going up to second in the league, Tom Pope will be remembered for this one. 33 years young, the club's new record goal scorer at Vale Park, 56th goal 
in front of his own supporters. So well done, Tom Pope, but not well done, Port Vale. Newport, are you surprised? Is it a false position? Can they hang on to it? I don't see any reason why not. I mean, I don't think if you've played there as a player, you enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it because the pitch was, well, it's unplayable at times. It is awful. And there's talk now that if they hadn't have drawn against Tottenham, they were mm. close to you know, going going out of business. Oh, they have always they lived were, on the edge. They have. And uh, I know someone that was putting, he was going to take them over. Um, and apart from that Tottenham money, that half a million, million quid just kept them going. As it is, I think they still lost 300,000 last year. So they're under huge pressure. I don't think there's a real sustainable future at Rodney Parade. And I think Flynn's doing a magnificent job, whether they can keep it going in this league. I think once you get momentum, it can take you anywhere. So I don't see why not. I think the, the pitch is vitally important because... I understand that they're playing better football this year mm. and it's been quite direct in years gone by and it's given them the opportunity to play a little bit more. I like Michael Flynn. Never anticipated them keeping this up. I thought they'd probably struggle this year. So playing a slightly different way, they're getting great results. Three on the bounce now. And I saw my mate Scott Bennett scored uh, for them. I wanted to tell you about Scott. He was at Exeter and he was the modern day Paul Warhurst for that season. He was a centre half. We had an injury crisis. He went up front. He scored two in his first game. And then he scored in the derby against Plymouth as well. And I really anticipated him, him going on like a Grimes and a, and a Wheeler at Exeter. And he found himself at Notts County. Now he's at Newport and it's it's not really happened for him. Outstanding professional. Do you talk to him still? But No, no, I've kind of lost touch with him. Yeah, outstanding professional. Paul Tisdale used to say, you know, if I could pick 11 Scott Bennett's, I would. Mm. So it's really surprised me that he's still in League Two. But I noticed he got his first goal in a year or something. So he's obviously playing as a defender again now, but pleased to see him scoring. And like I said, Flynn is a real character. Just from playing against him and the stories I've heard, Newport boy, he's living the dream, as is Tom Pope playing for Port Vale, record scorer there. I think he's from the Potteries, isn't he? So some nice stories to come out of that game at the weekend. I always loved Newport fans. I mean, they forever used to beat us when we were coming up through through non-league football. But when they had uh, Les Scadding come in, who was the Euro millionaire, do you remember he won all that money and, and bought the club? And I, they thought, right, this is the moment. This is the moment. And then it just pff, wasn't the moment. So I, I do want them to do well and I do want to stay up there. But in our, our regular look at Andy Holt, Accrington chairman, always a good follow on Twitter. He's again talking about finances across all the the leagues and just the disparity between them, which is every morning. But he's got some brilliant ways on how to to fix it or some unusual ways on how to fix the finances. But he talks about the National League having so much more money than than some of the the teams in, in League One even too. So for Newport, if they can bobble around there or at least give the fans something of a bit of a run towards the end of the season, then joy, oh joy. Uh, This is not where it should be, or maybe it is, Joe Crilly, but with League Two, again, you can't look, or can you look past Lincoln? Anything changed? Lincoln are obviously the favourites, two to five. They've been odds on for a good few weeks now for promotion. Interestingly, we would just talk about Newport there and Notts County. They are now both the same price for promotion. So despite the fact that Newport are second and uh, Notts County are rock bottom, they are both five to one for promotion. I mean, that's bananas, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah. I'm not, I, I'm not I, looking I think, at you and saying that. <laughs> what I, are you doing, Joe Crilly? <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> it shows the the seeming weight behind Notts yeah. County and, and how he should, Harry Keel, if he gets things right, have the support behind him just to pull the players in and to take them back up. Yeah, and they've got a fair bit of cash as well. That will do you every time. So, international break then. FA Cup qualifying first round this weekend. Any of those games? <laughs> look at you all looking at me. 
<laughs> I'm not going to make you talk about um, that. Met Police. Yay! Who they got? Um, don't know, but someone did a gag about it yesterday, but I've forgotten already. About uh, the potential of them playing uh, Craze. Cray? Cray Wanderers. Cray Wanderers. Police v. The Craze. There yeah. you go. <laughs> did you like that, just how that Cray Wanderers I came? didn't deliver it perfectly, did I? <laughs> uh, we'll edit that we out. Got don't edit it out. Keep it, Keep it in. Keep it in. Southend, Peterborough. Second v. Second Bottom, Portsmouth, Shrewsbury. Uh, fourth Bottom v. Bottom, Bristol Rovers, Plymouth. Have I stolen all of your thunder? Are there any games you want to have a look at? Sunderland, Fleetwood. I suppose Joey Barton, ex-Newcastle. Going to the Stadium of Light should be a good one too. He'll hate that, won't he, eh? He'll embrace it, won't he? But two teams going well and, um, yeah, big test for for Fleetwood, I suppose, off the back of a a good win over Bradford. And and as David said earlier, Jack Ross has taken to it like a duck to water, I think. Got good players in there, really good line-up. I like the look of the line-up, but also... Um, his tinkering and his little tactical tweaks have all paid off to this point. So looking really rosy for the, both those two clubs. David, I know you were held up against the wall by the Wimbledon fan in the uh, the office where we are at the <laughs> moment saying, come back, save us, all's forgiven. Uh, Gillingham, Wimbledon, do you see any joy for Wimbledon there this weekend? Um, look, their results on the road have been disappointing. So I think they need to start picking up points. It'll be a tricky game, but I hope so. Look, they lost Lyle Taylor. They've lost an awful lot of goals out of their team. I haven't really been able to replace them. But saying that, I think it's a good move for both. I think it's going to be a difficult season away from it, but they've got to start picking up points soon. I look at them being at home and think, actually, they, sh- they should do enough in that tight ground just to, to have enough to stay in the, the division. Nothing's changed on Wimbledon, is it, Joe? I'm looking at you with, please save Wimbledon. I have a little bit of an affection for, for Wimbledon. Well, in, Eric terms of, in terms of really great... Relegration. Relegration. It's what you need uh, if you're going to be a record breaker. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> now they're they're still just above the uh, the the top four in the betting for relegation. So uh, just above that uh, metaphorical um, dotted line right now. What's interesting is it's actually their pitch is magnificent because Chelsea women play on it. Yeah. So um, you know it's all set up. You know the club is all set up. I know they're not moving for their new to their new stadium, but it's all set up to play. You know the the sort of the right way, and he has changed and gone with two up top. He's brought in Jake Jervis, um, another another lad who I know played with, and I'm sure he'll get firing. But I think Neil's in a different market. You know he's picking up players who haven't maybe quite fired at certain clubs and been out the picture, and it's very difficult to get those lads going. And he's he's under pressure, I think, to to get it right. I think they will, but I think. I think it's it's going to be a, a difficult season. Look, they got up unexpectedly, mm. you know, and even to keep them in the league, I think was magnificent achievement. If you can do that again, I think that's equally, uh, you know, massive. There's no pressure on Neil Ardley. Is I mean, I know there's pressure on him, but I, oh, I, no, I don't I, mean into. I just mean on him himself. He, He'll have he pressure himself that he to. will want to do better. I mean that he's done a fantastic job. Him and his uh, him and his bat staff yeah. over the last few years, and. With the Notts County job, we just started to see a little bit of money. There were a couple of rumours that perhaps he would be on the short list for the Notts County job. Now, Wimbledon have obviously got the, the new stadium on the horizon, but if a team comes in that's able to double or triple his wages, would he stay or would he be tempted to go? I mean, what's quite funny is that I know the chairman, Eric Samuelson, and you go there, he goes and buys his own chips. Now that that tells you everything. So Neil, you know, there's no way that Neil will be getting a ton of cash. Eric counts every penny. Every penny. So for Neil, he's doing amazing with what he's got, but he doesn't have a lot. 
He's uh, he's often found actually with the car parking bib on as well, Mr. <laughs> Samuelson, directing traffic. I mean, look, I, I arguably scored a lot of goals for that club. You know, go back there. Do you get a, a pass to go and get a couple? No, you're in the stand sitting next to the punters, which is fine, but you don't even get a bag of chips. I don't know. I think there's there's pressure on every manager. And I think that the supporters, I wouldn't say they were split, but there was a period last year where I covered a few AFC Wimbledon games and a few of them wanted to change. So I think in an ideal world, of course, I've got an affiliation with Wimbledon. It was my local club growing up. It was the first club I was at as a kid. And we want Neil Ardley to be the manager to lead them into that new stadium. But if they don't get the results, then he won't be the manager. And the, the, the chairman said as much. I think he put a lot of eggs in when he brought in the basket, when he brought uh, a pyre in. Because they lost Akin Fenwa a few years ago. They lost Elliot to Millwall. Mm. And I think they really thought he was going to be the one to get the goals. Him and McDonald. McDonald didn't work out. A pyre hasn't hit the ground running. They're still scratching around for someone to get them a good return. I think McDonald didn't work out because he was basically playing up there by himself. Mm. Now, actually, if he'd have kept the beast, you know, and I played with him, you've got to do a lot of running around <laughs> him. Don't get me wrong, you know. Running away from him. <laughs> yeah. But if you get the ball wide and get the ball in the box, he's very difficult to defend against. And he scored how many goals for Wickham? Mm. You know, funnily enough, my ex-teammate, Neil's ex-teammate, Gareth Ainsworth, obviously took him on and got a tune out of him and, and you know he scored a load of goals I'm sure Neil was thinking I should have just retained him to me I would have retained him and he's another plan B as it is I think that was a mistake letting him go But uh, we need to wrap apparently uh, I, I can do the Ant and Deck one if you want watch us wreck them no that was a really poor joke David thank you oh, thank it's you. been a delight having you in Joe Criddy thank you thank you very much uh, anything else random you'd like to tell us about uh, no not off the top of my head no no. Disappointing. I'll, I'll Maybe it's because your head's been caught in a, in a vice-like <laughs> grip. A vice-like bite. <laughs> yes, possibly, allegedly. Uh, Sam Parkin? Uh, my pleasure, Caroline. Lovely to be here. That was right. Right answer. Repeat it time and time again. Remember, you can get in contact with us on Twitter. We're at The Toastly Show. Thank you to Sam, to David and to Joe, and of course to you. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football League Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our brand new podcast for this season, The Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.